Well, hello, hello, everyone. This is going to be a fun one today. My good buddy and executive chef, Michael Rossi, is going to be joining us. You know, seeing that it was summertime, I just thought it would be cool to do a feature on on the sort of the art of barbecuing. Um, as I've been out there just floundering around in my own private hell trying to figure out how to barbecue uh, while entertaining at the same time. So uh, today I thought we'd learn a little bit from uh, a great chef and a uh, great griller himself. So I hope you learned something today. Uh, we cover a lot of ground from everything from the proteins uh, and traditional meats to chicken, fish, uh, how to grow vegetables and fruit, even pizza. And of course, we talk about uh, the various wine pairings uh, that can go along, as well as craft beers that can go along uh, with our food preparations and grilling techniques. So hope you enjoy today's show. Hey guys, today's show is brought to you by Town Park, my favorite local brew co here in Anaheim. Great guys putting out some amazing beers, super talented. Go check out their 20,000 square foot facility in Anaheim or go ask for it at a restaurant near you, Town Park. On the Brevity Code podcast, we'll explore a wide range of topics from the very people that give form and color to our world. We'll hear from artists, brand builders, industry leaders, pro athletes, fitness and endurance coaches, philanthropists, entrepreneurs, and many others. Through their actions, they enrich us with their vision, creativity, and bravery. Our guests have all been successful by flying in the face of conventional wisdom. We'll learn from them the ways in which we can apply that very knowledge to our own path and toward our own self-fulfillment. Hey guys, my guest today, Chef Michael Rossi. He is an amazing, uh, talented chef here in Orange County. Uh, he's the executive chef of the ranch here in Anaheim. He's uh, He's got quite a, a storied past, graduating top of his class, Culinary Institute San Francisco. He's trained under Chef Roy Yamaguchi and uh, David Abella from Roy's Restaurants. He's been under uh, Chef Bruno Barbieri at the Michelin two-star restaurant, La Conda and Solara in Bologna, Italy. Even... Uh, Spent some time working on a Disney property, the Napa Rose, along friend and mentor Andrew Sutton and a master psalm, Michael Jordan. Um, he was part of the opening for another restaurant called Ambrosia. Chef Michael Rossi, welcome to the show. Today, we're going to talk about how to barbecue and not suck. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm uh, honored and, and stoked to have you on the show today. Um, and we've known each other a long time. Much respect for your game. The spot in which you are currently the executive chef at the ranch um, is an amazing place. I wish it was closer to my house. I would go there much more. Got to um, have you in. You got to get got to get in there soon, dude. It's I do need to get in soon. <laughs> so um, today we're gonna talk about a bunch of different topics related to grilling, some techniques, how to enhance your summer experience, wine pairings and appetizers and vegetarian dishes and all types of different preps. I'm total novice barbecuer. Um, I try really hard. It's often difficult to do also when you're, you know, you're, you're entertaining guests, right? You got a, you got a beer in your hand, you got a glass of wine, you get in a nice conversation and then, oh, I got stuff on the grill. Right. So today we're going to try to see if we can unpack some of the pitfalls of that and learn a little something. I've tasted your your fare and it's amazing. So I'm stoked to have you on today. So Super excited to be here, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Killer, man. Let's get into it. So I think diving straight in, let's understand perhaps uh, the cuts of meat just as, a, as an entry point. Again, someone that kind of goes into a restaurant unacquainted, I usually go and I order a filet because I know it's lean. Right. But I don't. I don't know the marbling. I don't know what all that means. I don't know what a Wagyu, I don't know what a, you know, all these. So let's start with some of your thoughts on the different cuts of meat and the flavor profiles and maybe a little bit of food prep. Right, right. You know, well, barbecuing, grilling, it's, uh, we've been doing it for years, man. Long, long time ago. Uh, lots of different styles. Obviously, there's a different style in each country. In America, we have different regions of America that have different styles of barbecue, different grilling. But, you know, summertime is the best time to grill. Getting out in the backyard, like you said, with a cold one or a glass of wine and and throwing something on the grill and just having a good time with your family, your friends. You know, there's there's so many things that can go on the grill, from vegetables to fish to chicken to pizza. meats and pizza and all these awesome things. And, uh, you know, it's it's almost comfort food. But, you know, as yeah. you, you started to say earlier that, that, uh, you got to kind of step up the game a little bit too. It's, it's, you're all, you know, you're challenging yourself, 
you're trying to buy a cool meat and you're trying to take maybe a not so expensive meat, something that's less expensive that maybe take a little extra time and, and smoke it and slow and low and do all that. Or you're going to buy your filet or a New York or a, a ribeye and you're going to you throw it on the grill and it's going to cook for a certain amount of time, depending on how you like to cook it and what temperature you like. But you know, there's there's so many so many answers to the questions you even asked. I mean, yeah. as far as cuts, um, you know, grades, types of meat that have different marbling's in them and stuff. But there's a lot to choose from. Well, so if, you know, for instance, I'm not a let's just say I'm not a value shopper, but I'm I'm looking for a good, like a good value piece of meat that's going to bring me a great flavor profile that's also not going to break the bank. What right. might you suggest in that case? Well, you know, at the ranch restaurant in, in Anaheim, uh, we we have everything. Before we opened, we sat down, we we really thought about the name. We thought, well, why would we call it a steakhouse and pigeonhole ourselves into this, what everybody thinks of as a steakhouse? You know, we wanted to do more farm to table, more seasonal produce, more more changing of our menu all the time. And uh, we put this... this uh, tomahawk chop or what we call the cowboy ribeye 58 ounce steak long bone like a 12 inch bone we started putting on things i wanted to put on a prime rib on the menu that that's not on the menu but that's a verbal every day but if you come to the ranch we have it all the time then we started adding a new york uh we we added a special a special steak uh kind of a, a verbal special for the day a, a 40 ounce uh new york delmonico steak three inch steak and then we added a uh, 50 ounce porterhouse that has the New York on one side, filet on the other, and and it, we started to become a steakhouse. Those are the high end steaks. You know what I mean? Everybody knows of the filet and and uh, New Yorks, but uh, the steaks that I like to eat are the hanger steak, or it's like the hanging tender, which hangs lower <clears throat> off the uh, the filet. The steaks like outside skirt steak is like the best steak on the entire cow. Skirt steak. Uh, skirt steak. And it is, uh, it's marbled. It's got fat running through it. But when it's the type of fat that when it grills, it melts into the meat. Mm. Uh, it, it has the best steak flavor. But those types of steaks, you know, when you say value, that's the hard part is when everybody's looking for a value. So when the value steaks start selling, then the price goes up. How come you don't see skirt steaks a lot offered at traditional you steak do. It's if- It used to be kind of like the fajita steak um, or something similar. Okay. Uh, you see skirt steaks at restaurants that have maybe like steak frites, some of those types of things. It's a, it's a type of meat that, that not always do you grill it and serve it whole. So say you, you're, it's a, a long- Steak, right? Thinner. Thinner steak. Quick, quick to cook. Yep. And uh, when you grill it, you normally slice it against the grain so it chews better. But if you if you just serve it on a plate, people really don't know what to do with it because if you cut it wrong, it's going to be a little bit more chewy. Okay. Um, but it is literally the best steak on the cow for me. Okay. Really, really good. <laughs> Outside skirt steak. Okay. I like it. Um. So before we even get to grilling some of the proteins, what are your thoughts on marinades and rubs and the use of things like bourbon and beer and and, and, and different flavorings that you can soak the proteins in? Or are you a purist? Do you just go like, hey, here's a little olive oil? Now this is, again, now let, let, this is Chef Rossi sort of outside of the restaurant. Right, right. I'm speaking to you. We're having a beer and we're at my grill and you're teaching. Like, well, So this is your preference. Well, the cool part is at the ranch, we, we do that anyways. Literally, we, we dream of something and we can put it on the menu that day. But it all starts with an idea. And I think that, that grilling is that back, backyard flavor. If me and you are just kicking back and we're like, hey, let's go grab a steak at the butcher shop and let's, you know, what, what do you want to eat? Meaning, what flavor do you want to eat? Or what nationality do you want to eat? Or what, what flavors do you want to impart in the steak? Yes, salt and pepper is the best thing. Salt, number one. Sea salt? Uh, like I use you- kosher salt. I use a specific kosher salt that has a certain grind on it that, that has enough uh, flake that when you eat it, you can taste the salt. Okay. Not like an iodized, you know, yeah. uh, real thin table salt. I use a, a, a specific salt. We use a, a one in the restaurant called Diamond Crystal. Okay. And I'm very familiar with this particular salt. It's different than a Morton's uh, kosher salt that has a, a thicker grind. 
So I, you almost know how much salt is coming out of your fingertips when you're seasoning stuff. Oh, that's great. Dry rubs, wet rubs, there's so many different things. Traditionally, a rub usually consists of salt, pepper, uh, sugar mm. uh, to, to balance the salt, and some kind of aromatic, whether it's garlic, or whether it's onion, both of them being powder if, if it's dry, wet, if it's you know fresh, if it's wet. Um, but you can put in like celery seed or dried herbs or clove or cinnamon or whatever, whatever you're going on that end. And on the wet rubs, uh, for sugar, you can use, excuse me, for salt, you can use miso, you can use uh, fish sauce, you can use soy sauce. Okay. Um, for sugars, you can use um, things like uh, molasses or agave or uh, honey. And then the dry ingredients that would be like aromatics would be like chili powder or any of that. The one thing I did miss and mostly all those rubs and traditionally for color, you always see when you get a rub is, is paprika. They always put in paprika, uh, would be salt, sugar, pepper, and paprika. And then the paprika's for color, color and, and, and imparting uh, a, a really nice, uh, sweet, smoky flavor to it. Um, okay. it's not smoky there are smoked paprikas, but it gives you that, that nuance that imparts color. Uh, so when you grill, it gets that really nice mahogany kind of yeah. color. Um, but, but really good flavors. And do you have a quick and easy that you, again, you're, you're grilling at home that you like a go-to, do you like a dry rub? Do you like a wet rub? Do you kind of goes back to what, 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 what the where flavor you is? Go. Yeah. You because if you're going to do, style? say you're going to do Mexican, yeah. you're going to do, you know, lime juice. Honey, tequila, cilantro. You know what I mean? If okay. you want to do Asian, you're going to do ginger and soy sauce okay. and uh, agave or, or something like that. Um, there's a lot of different flavors that you can impart in your meat or your fish, uh, chicken, that you should you marinate beforehand or, or quickly season before. You know, the, the one thing that I want to talk about a little bit is there is kind of this thought that if you season too far ahead of time and marinate that you're going to ruin the protein that you're marinating. Like say, for example, if you're going to marinate a steak, people say, oh, you only want to marinate it for an hour or so, because if you marinate overnight and the salt that goes in, it's going to break down the meat and it's going to be mush. And I don't think that's accurate. Okay. You know, I think that the, the longer you marinate it, obviously not a day ahead, but you know, even some meats that you buy in the store that are prepackaged, yeah, right. Santa, Santa Maria marin- b- barbecues yeah. and all these things, they're sitting in marinade, yeah, and they're amazing, yeah. There's amazing. a maple bourbon that, right. uh, I, I forget what it's called, the butchery, right? That's like my favorite thing, right? Yeah. And who, I think, how, how, how long do you think it's been sitting in that package in the marinade? Who knows? I mean, I wouldn't say, I mean, if you leave it in there for a day, you know, two days, I think that it's going to start to break down, it's okay. going to start to break down the cell structure of the meat. Okay. Um, fish, you don't need to marinate that long. And in fact, I wouldn't. I would just do a quick 30-minute marinade. Okay. Um, chicken, you can marinate overnight. You know, but there, you're, you're imparting flavors into your, your meat or fish or chicken that when you grill, you're going to get at the end. Okay. Good stuff. Um, a little bit of a tangent. What do you think of the hype around this green egg thing? Do you own one? Are you into it? Like what? what I don't. Do you, I got a lot of friends that use it. Do you have one at the restaurant? I don't. Uh, that's one thing that we don't have at the Why, restaurant. Seriously. <laughs> um, you know, there's so many, <clears throat> when you're grilling, you're, you're trying to balance heat and the green egg has a way of keeping heat inside of it in a way that's almost like a pressure cooker of sorts. Okay. Right. Yeah. Where it's even throughout, okay. you can you can do certain things that release air and do all that kind of thing, um, just like you would like a smoker or even your standard uh, charcoal barbecue that have the vents on top and yeah. all those things. If you can master the grill on where to place stuff and well, how I to control your heat, I want to talk about heat, that too. Yes, yeah. There, there's that. a lot of things that uh, you can do that you can impart a lot of different flavors and temperatures on just the way that you grill. All right. But it sounds, so it sounds like the consensus on the green egg from, you know, a chef's point of view is it's a good, you don't snub your nose at it. Right. right? No. Like you, okay. I mean, I'm, you know, I would totally get one. I just, I'm a novice barbecue dude in the first place. I'm thinking like, why do I need to even go there? I'm still trying to figure out 
my grill. Maybe it's easier with the green well, egg. Well, it, it depends. You know, I mean, it is a little, I mean, the green egg and, and, and all these, these awesome products, Traeger, um, yeah. all these different grills or, or smokers. Uh, it's, if you understand how to use it, it's a lot easier. You know, <laughs> right. a, lot, a lot of dudes are, are getting it and they have no idea to capacity of what you can use it in. Right. Um, but for your standard, you know, barbecue guy or gal, there, there's uh it's, it's understanding how to use it. Yeah. I think is the most important thing. Well, let's talk a bit about that because I think, you know, again, so, you know, the setting is casual. You're with family and friends. What I do is I tend to crank it up high to get a sear on it. Right. Um, so I'll sear each side and then I'll turn the temperature down. And based on the thickness of the cut of the meat, right. um, I will try to place it on either the hot or less hot parts of the grill. Right. That's my theory as a novice. I don't know. My that's just intuitive that the quicker, well, like, it, is that? No, you, you said everything right. Okay. First of all, you need heat when you're grilling. So if you have too much heat, it's going to burn. If you have not enough heat, it's going to just boil or whatever you want to call it. It's going to steam the thing. It's going to be staring at it for an hour uh, and it's not going to cook right because you need a certain amount of heat to, to sear all the, the outside of the meats, right? The yeah. outside of the meat, the protein and everything to set. And then you're cooking internally. So now you're working your way in right? and around, right? If you have a lid and you're going to cook something because everything, every meat, how do I say this the right way? Everything that you put on the grill is not going to cook the same. Right. Right. So if you get a New York or a filet or this uh, skirt steak that I talked about, or you're going to do a sirloin um, steak, everything's going to be cooked differently because you have to you have to be able to break down the structure of the meat differently. So if you're going to cook it at a high heat, you're going to grill it. First, you need a, a good heat source, medium high heat probably. Uh, once you crank it up and you get it down to that heat, like you said, you need a clean grill. So when you put it on there, you're going to get the marks that you need, but it's not going to stick and it's not going to pull and it's not going to, it's going to allow the the grill to do its job. Yeah. Okay. Do you know what I'm saying? What yeah. I'm saying? If you don't, if you don't clean your grill, your grill is working a lot harder. The heat's still going through, but the grill itself isn't grilling your meat the way that you need it to be. That's a good point. Cause I feel like, uh, you know, the day there's like the aftermath of the barbecue, right. like we just made ribs and just, we just right, thrashed right. the right. the barbecue a couple of weeks back. And but then I feel like I have no problem. Yeah. I'll do like the surface clean with the, you know, the wire brush or whatever, right. but all that stuff falls down into the trapping right, area right. and it sits on the burner area. Right. So, and I, <laughs> it, I guess grilling, I just kind of <laughs> overlook it cause I'm lazy and it's like, ah, it's going to be fine. Uh, it's hot enough in, in there. But the, the hard part about that is that's everybody. It's everybody. But, but that yeah. the hard part about that is, is that's what catches on fire later. Okay. That's what creates grease later. If you don't clean the, okay. the bottom tray, if you don't clean your grill, that's that's the things that catch on fire. And that, yeah. that's consistency in your grilling. So if you're going to grill all the time, you have to take care of that stuff. That's a great, that's, I mean, that's a, just, it seems like common sense, but hearing you say it and the reason why it makes, right. it makes complete sense. I mean, it's like, it's like you're using a saute pan, right? In your kitchen. I don't even know if this is the right, you know, kind of example, but if you don't clean your pan and you just keep throwing stuff in there, you're not going to get a good sear on every time yeah. you want to cook something in your pan. Well, this, so, you know, my other thought too was, and, and that's a question is sometimes you, maybe you've, you've done, you know, wet rub and you've, you've put it on the grill and, and the juices from the meat and the wet rub produce a drip. Right. And that drip goes down into the grill. Then what happens? You get a forest fire right. underneath your meat. Now you've annihilated that side of that meat. Right. <laughs> so it's gone way past a sear and it's turned into this charcoal mess. You serve it to your kids and they go, I'm not even going to eat yeah, that, right. dad. And and so that is in part because the grill has this natural grease built up layer yeah, in the bottom yeah, part of yeah. it. Yeah. And, and it depends what you put on your grill. If you're going to put on uh, something that's marinated in oil or it's got- Which I tend oil, to do. Yeah. Which it, well, you want the, the the marinade to stick and you want it to be well-rounded in flavor and you want it to, to look like it's hit every part of the, the thing you're marinating, right? So you put the oil on it. So I tend to use olive oil on both sides. I did not hear you say olive oil in your 
and all the things you described you could do for dry or wet. Is that not well, a thing we uh, no, do? No, I or? think, well, I think that the olive oil or any kind of oil. And then I put uh, garlic salt on that yeah. over that. Just, well, the so thing is, is it, right? there's two things, right? If you put a steak down on, on the, on the cutting board, just let's just try to visualize it for a second. If you put a steak down on a cutting board, if you put olive oil on it a little bit, just to rub it on, uh, or any kind of oil, then whatever your whatever dry ingredient you're putting on there is going to stick to it. But if you start, like if you put like dried herbs or, uh, any of these mm-hmm. things, it's going to, it's going to stick to it a little bit better, or at least it's going to lather itself on for dry better words. Are you saying on dry? If you were going to put, so let's say you're going to put some rosemary sprigs on it or something, right? Yeah. If like, you put, if you put oil on it first, it's going to stick to it. Right. But if you don't, the dry herbs are just going to fall off. Right. right. Salt won't salt. Salt will stay on there. Okay. Pepper, you know, once you put it on, yes. If you turn it a certain way, maybe your pepper might, some of them might fall off. No, I think it's, uh, I was mostly talking about ribs. Okay. If you're going to do a dry rub on ribs, if you would just start putting all your dried ingredients right on the ribs, you're not going to be flipping your ribs all over the place to, to season. Right. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I, going back to that, I think that's a good point. I, I would add a little bit of oil onto it. Okay. Um, how do you handle, like, sometimes you get these great thick baseball cuts, um, what I feel like ends up happening again. So you get the heavy sear and 15 minutes later you go out and you, you look at your meat and you're like, dude, this thing is still walking on the inside there. Is it taboo to butterfly a thick base? Are you ruining a baseball cut when you do that? Or do you, well, if you, is it just a patient scheme? What is the heat temperature? Like, how do you treat that? Well, baseball cut, you know, what do you say? Like a two inch cut. Yeah. Maybe, right? Yeah. With any cut of meat that's that thick, you're going to have to baby it a little bit. So going back to hot grill, clean surface, throw the steak on there. What you want to create in your barbecue, whether it be gas or charcoal, is you want to, I feel that that you want to create areas of your grill that are hotter and less hot. Does so that make sense? So how do you achieve that? Uh for example, let's, let's try to paint the picture for two different ways. If you're going to do a charcoal grill, you're going to put coals on one side of the grill underneath, and you're going to leave an area that doesn't have coals. Okay. Right? So you're getting indirect heat. Okay. So, But when you put the lid on it, it's almost you're creating an oven. So it's still circulating around caused by oxygen of some sort. Right? Now, so it's creating air. And now if I'm – let's say I'm – I'm doing that scenario, but I don't have a lid right? because perhaps I'm doing a, uh, I'm on a camping trip right? Right. and I've got a fire pit. Is that still the same with same way? Yeah. You just wouldn't put as far away from the heat, the direct heat. Okay. Right. Right. Or you can create levels of like almost like three, two, one or, or, or something that's different in your areas of coal that you're creating. Okay. This one's on high. This one's on medium. This one's on low. Just by the, the the stack height. Yes. It's sort of in a descending or ascending Exactly. Order. So okay. you you have less heat source, okay. medium heat source, and a lot of heat source. All right. So what you want to do is slow down the heat process. It's still going to, you're still grilling, but you don't have a direct heat underneath it that's just firing away at that thing and creating this like leather on the outside that's still raw on the inside. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. I mean, it seems, I get it. And I think that's, you know, it sounds counterintuitive because I feel like ah, I'm just going to attack this baseball cut. So I'm just going to, right, I'm going to build this massive flame underneath it. But that's not. Well, the thing, if you can imagine this, it would be something like if you're, if you're cooking a, a steak in a, in a skillet, right? So, or, or a saute pan, you're, you have that direct heat that's underneath your steak and it's firing away at it and it's, it's searing the, the outsides of it. If you just kept searing it, you would just turn it into a piece of burnt toast, right? It would just right. charcoal. It would just burn. Right. But if you now put it into an oven that has a uh, a heat source that's more well-rounded and it's not firing straight at the bottom, now it's around it, you're slowing down the cooking process to kind of just start to cook its way a little bit slower. It'd be the same thing on a grill. You're just moving it to an area that's a slower, uh, more delicate heat. So let's get back to the grill then too. So um, if we're looking for the the direct and indirect, I mean, we're playing with the the burners, obviously you're going to, what would you have? 
one control set out and 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 the other. Uh, and also, I want to throw this because my my uh, I have like a Lynx Sedona grill, whatever. It's a cool, yeah. Yeah. you know. Um, it's got the searing side. Yeah, right. Um, and I tend to put, and we're gonna get into this later, but I tend to put corn and some of my vegetables. I'll put corn directly on. Let's not get into that yet. Let's talk about the meat first. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, is there any usage, in your opinion, on the searing side? Do you use that specifically for meat, or is, when you say searing, is it's it, a is it it's it? Um, I think it's like convection heat. I don't know how to explain it. It's like a. Okay, it's not it's, a grill. It, it's it's not infrared. Yeah, that's what it is. It's infrared. Yeah. so it's super hot. It's super hot. Yeah, right. I, I I tend to like those. Well, the good thing if we can work backwards, I'll get back to your question. We can work backwards. You want to mark make your marks or start at your grilling or your steak on that infrared. You do, and then move it to a cooler zone. Okay. You know, does what, that make sense? Yeah, and when you say that, and I know it varies on the steak, and it probably varies on the type of steak and all that, but are there some general rules on heat temps that we're trying to achieve either with a closed lid or per side? Like, how do you, I feel like this is part of the nuance. This is the science. Yeah, this right. is the fun part of right. learning how to do this. Is there some rule of thumb on heat guidance? Or again, is it just too too many variables? Well, it just depends. I mean, if we just speak of steak only, and, and as I'm so for uh, conversation's sake, let's do that. Yeah, because I'm because I as I'm trying to to work this out to explain it, I'm starting to think of chicken. Right, the chicken kind of throws it yeah, way off, want, right? Yeah, because <laughs> it's got to cook a lot longer. Okay, um, you're cooking each steak differently. You know what I mean? Like a fillet, rare to mid rare is perfect. You know, a, a ribeye or a New York. I'm more of a mid rare almost medium because i like i like when the meat settles a little bit and it's not chewy right where you're just okay yeah i love a perfect rare steak but then it's too rare and you're eating it and you're chewing it and the fat hasn't broken down inside uh the meat the good fats not like the 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 uh the harder fats the the softer fats that melt yeah but you have to get to that 130 140 range and in between that uh that's when you're kind of mid-rare to to medium start to get right around that that temperature it's okay to have a temperature gauge it's okay to have a, a meat thermometer handy not everybody's gonna push your finger you know what i mean and go oh yeah that's they said if you put your finger and your your thumb together you're gonna be able to find that perfect steak yeah you can touch it and do all that stuff but it's okay to to pull out the thermometer there's so many great resources now to look at temperatures using the internet you can see pictures. Okay, I want it that way. I see. 138 degrees. You know what I mean? I want it that way. So you you put your thermometer in and you you just wait for it to get there. And when you do, you know, or, or pull it off a little bit before that, it's still going to cook. So there's a lot of ways okay. you could do it. Jumping around a bit, but staying on meat. Right. Um, <clears throat> so seeing that it's summertime right. and we're heavy into barbecue season and being outdoors, um, sometimes I enjoy a good burger. Right. Now, got some questions on the burger. Um, I tend to like, just, just as I'd like to eat as healthy and as lean as I can, um, sometimes I grab bison. Right. Right? The one problem I have with bison is it tends to fall apart and go down into the bottom of my grill. Like, right. Is there a bonding agent I can use to keep the, those types of leaner meats um, and turkey, I feel like turkey burgers also tend to right. crumble because they don't and, have the fat content. You know what I mean? You go to the grocery store and they say eighty twenty or yeah. seventy five twenty five. That's that's uh, lean meat to fat. So you're buying seventy five percent lean meat and twenty five percent fat. The fat is going to first off give it flavor, but it's also going to be that binding agent that keeps everything together. When you have buffalo or bison or turkey doesn't have that fat content in it. There are things you can add to it. I mean, you can add an egg to it. You know, okay. almost like you're making a meatball. Um, so what do I do? Uh, I crack the egg. I, I take a whisker and- Yeah, you just whisk, whisk it, it up, in. Yeah, and, and then- full, You can make like, the patties. I can literally just take that, <clears throat> the patty and dip it in there? No, I would, I I would it? almost like you're making like a, a meatball. Well, dude, you're the chef. I don't know how to make a meatball. <laughs> I don't know. Okay, well, how do you so, do that? <laughs> like a meatball, you would usually take your your ground meat and then you would add things that keep it together, right? So you're you're also imparting uh, things that that keep it juicy. 
or fluffy or something that has a mouthfeel to it. So if you're going to add a little bit of egg, egg yolk and, and maybe some milk with some breadcrumbs, that's how you would make a meatball. But if okay. you take that, those same little things and add it to your lean meat, you could do the same thing. I wouldn't put anything in there that would be out of the ordinary, um, but there are probably some things that you could Okay. To do a little research on that. Do you have a favorite uh, burger build that you that your go to? Again, not Chef Rossi serving at the ranch, but like your home, you're you with your family. Like, do you have a, a like? Okay, this is my favorite prep. This is what I do. What what I like to have on my burger? Yeah. Oh man. Do you not cook burgers for yourself? I do. I do. Okay. I I, right. I love cheese. Okay. So. It's got to be a cheeseburger. Okay. Well, yeah. You know what I mean? Whether you. whether it's a, a really awesome sharp cheddar or it's a camembert of some sort or uh, blue cheese. I like spice. So mine's usually like jalapeno jack or, okay. or habanero jack cheese or something like that that's going to give me those things. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then I love I love tomatoes and, and onions and, and lettuce. You know, there's so many burgers out there now. It's it's crazy. I know. I different love, buns, yeah. different burgers, yeah. different setups. Dude, the pretzel bun. Killer. I love the pretzel bun. Yeah, really, really cool. I, I have a new bun uh, that we're working on. It's uh, a milk bun. Uh, and oh, like a eat, biscuit kind of? No, no. It's uh, it's almost like, um, throw you off here, it's a, we, we use a potato bun now. Uh, so you're using uh, different flours and that, that sort. But uh, we're working on this bun that's uh, that's got milk proteins and, and milk in it when you're making the dough, and it uh, it is the softest, most spongy oh, bun. Man, I, I'm all about the bun. Yeah, okay. I mean, you, you've been to that that place where the bun's super dry, and you take a bite, and yeah, your whole yeah. bun falls apart. Yeah, and your burger's ruined. Yeah, it, it, you know, it's got to be uh, that that perfect marriage of everything. It's got to have a great burger that doesn't fall apart, <laughs> that has flavor. That has enough fat in there that you're it's juicy when you're grilling it and when you're taking a bite, uh, but it has to have all the components. Sounds good. Um, so we're we're grilling. We've we've done the burger. We've we've talked about some of the different preparations for um, all the proteins. Let's talk about um, a little bit of fish prep. Um, do you? Now the only thing I know about this is. The foil method, like taking a piece of salmon, right. throwing it in foil. is Because I feel like I've done salmon on the grill. It sticks, it flakes, and you get more junk in the bottom of your, right. your grill too. Like how do you, what's what's some good basic um, preps on fish? Well, there's lots of things. You can grill it. Uh, I love the, uh, the foil method because you can put lots of stuff in there, whether it be veggies, whether it be herbs, whether it be tomatoes and onions and garlic. White yeah. wine, okay, uh, beer. We could put so many things in there that make it awesome. But you can put them on skewers. Okay, you know what I mean you can use a, a cedar plank. You know what I mean? Where you're what is that exactly? Well, you can buy uh, cedar. You can buy them at the wood supply lumber yard or whatever you want to call it, Home Depot or Ganal or whatever is around here. Uh, you want an untreated, so it has, doesn't have nothing to do. They haven't put anything on the the wood. You can have them cut them into planks, however you like, and it just imparts flavor. So what you do, and it creates a, a heat source or heat method that that's almost going to be a shield between the grill and the fish. So you would take that piece of wood, that plank, say you, you cut it to be ten inches long, uh, wherever fits in your grill. It depends on whatever you're going to put on it. Uh, you can marinate your salmon. Maybe you make a honey and grapefruit glaze or, or something like that. Um, you glaze the salmon and then you put it on uh, this piece of cedar plank that you maybe soaked for three or four hours before. So you're, it's, you're soaking it in water. The cedar is taking in the water, so it's protecting okay. it when you put it on the grill. Okay. And then when you put it on the grill, it is in all, I mean, you know, when you put cedar on anything, that natural, beautiful flavor, it's sweet and goes inside the fish. Uh, you can use that um, grilling baskets. I know you've seen them in the in the store somewhere in the grilling area. They they put them in those baskets. Oh uh, yeah. So your fish kind of stays in there. Okay. Uh, so you can flip it without you know it sticking to the grill. It's kind of a foolproof uh, yeah. way of doing it. I think I need one of those, uh, especially if you're going to do whole <laughs> fish. 
Okay. You know what I mean? Say you're going to do a whole snapper or, or something like that. Yep. You put it in one of those. You can grill the whole fish without it sticking to the, the grill. Uh, and it doesn't fall apart when you're kind of turning it over over as much as you want. Is there a heat you like for fish specifically as, as opposed to, you know, steaks? Is it a low heat? Is it a it, quick it's, sear? No, it's always, it, it goes back to the basics. Clean grill, hot heat source that's medium high, not too hot. And then an area that you could put it that's not going to be so hot. Okay. You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, Because if you're going to do your chicken, you're going to do it the same way. You're going to put the chicken on the grill, the hot, you're going to mark it. And then you're going to get to an area that you can create kind of that same heat, but not that huge right underneath it, blasting heat. Okay. Question for you. Yeah. Um, what is the hottest part of the grill versus the least hot? Or is every grill not Every grill is different. Okay. So even in the restaurant, we have heat zones in the restaurant that are different. Okay. Um, it's just caused by air sometimes. So say you put all your coals or, or you're, you have a gas grill and you crank it up and it's like, oh yeah, I'm going to put it in the center of the grill. Well, in that kind of bar where the gas goes through and it sh shoots like down a bar of some sort and it's got yep. little holes that the, the, the gas comes out of, yep. it all depends on airflow. Maybe there's airflow underneath your barbecue that's pushing it a different way. Maybe it's not, the holes aren't delivering as much gas through each hole. So you're creating hot spots on your grill without even knowing it. It's finding those heat spots and taking advantage of them. I'm sorry, I'm trying to make it as as easy as possible, but the, if you can break it down into knowing that if you create the heat areas on your grill, it makes it a lot easier and a lot more foolproof. Where, like you said, if you're having that hangout party and you're saying, oh, I put some on the grill, and oh no, I put it on the grill 15 minutes ago and I forgot about it. Well, if you put it in an area that's not so direct, you have a little bit more leeway and you can be a little bit more consistent. Yeah. No, good thoughts. So on to chicken. Right. So again, there's a fine line and, and that's really, I feel like the one thing you really got to pay attention to. Right. Because there's the undercooked version or the overcooked and there's right. that sweet spot where you can maintain the juice and, and by the way, right, things cook once they're off the grill too. So you have to take into consideration. Right. right. That's all yeah, your yeah. proteins are going to continue to cook Right. So- yeah, I feel like chicken is 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 a delicate one. Any any tips on? Yeah, I, I think that that chicken, even for a professional chef, is one of the hardest things in the world to cook, because even though uh, you would think that as much chicken as America consumes, you would think that everybody would have salmonella, right? I mean, that's <laughs> the, that's the yeah. fear. Yeah. Um, but it's not. It, we we use. There's so many organic products out there. There's so many. Uh, the FDA controls so much stuff. And if you take care of your product when you buy it to when you store it at home to when it goes on the grill as far as temperature, uh, you're always good. But there are different ways to cook chicken. Obviously, there's the chicken breast, right? There's the bone-on chicken breast. There's the boneless chicken breast. Uh, there's chicken thighs. And then there's kind of a half chicken. Everybody's doing this like chicken under a brick or kind of, you know, butterflying your chicken and cutting out the backbone and kind of opening it up and put it on the grill. The easiest thing, if you want to talk about chicken breasts, and I think a lot of people cook chicken yeah, I think breasts, that's, that's the, yeah. the good thing to talk about, uh, is if you go to the store, most often, uh, if you're not buying it from the butcher and you're maybe buying it from the, the retail spot in the, in the grocery store, or if you go to the butcher, there's what they call random chicken breasts and then the little bit more expensive chicken breasts. They're a little bit more sized equally. Does that make sense? Sure. Um, I think the, the most important thing is to in a chicken breast is to make sure that the surface area is all the same. I'll try to explain that a little better. If you take a chicken breast and it's fat on one spot and it's thinner on another spot, it's going to cook different. The one on the thinner is going to dry out and it's going to overcook. And that's the part where you pull it off the grill and you're like, oh no. And you cut it in and you like have to throw it back on the grill. Yeah. Right. right. I'm sure everybody's done that lots of times. <laughs> lots of times. Because that fear factor. But I would do, what I would do is I would maybe take it, pound it out, get a mallet, okay. uh, put it between, uh, put it in a, a Ziploc bag or in between two pieces of, of parchment paper. I mean, excuse me, of, of clear plastic crap <clears throat> or parchment paper. Um, and you want to just lightly pound it so you're making an even surface. That's the first thing. 
if you can do that, then all the other stuff kind of falls in line. You want to put it on a clean grill, good heat source, and then you want to just manage your heat. Because uh, once you get to a certain point and your chicken's overcooked, it's going to be dry. Um, you can feel it, kind of that kind of method that people talk about. If you put your fingers together and maybe you squeeze it, it goes from rare to medium rare to medium to well done. So explain that. So you're you're gripping, you're you're making a a slight fist. Yeah, you can do it like that, or you could just take your finger, your so your, your index, index finger, finger your and your thumb, and mm-hmm. you put it together. Mm-hmm. And if you put a light pressure, that would be rare, right? Because right there at the uh, inside of your your mm-hmm. hand, right there, there's a like, kind of muscle right there that's really soft, and it kind of goes in, right? But if you put pressure on your index finger and your thumb a little bit more, it starts to firm up a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. And that is that's medium. That's medium, right? So then, if you do it a little bit more, it's kind of like midwell. And if you press really strong mm-hmm. and it's firm, the muscle tightens. That's well done. That's just a a basic kind of. I don't know if it's an old wives' tale or it's or it's something that's really. But I I think that even in our industry, the professional industry, you know, I mean, we're cooking stuff all the time. Maybe you're not doing, okay, this every time, but you've got it down. So when you touch it, you kind of know where it's at. Yeah. I mean, look, I'm, I cut into it and I, you know, right. I, I hate that. Cause well, I, cause you're then releasing moisture. You're releasing all those natural juices uh, that, that you want to keep inside. Well, and what's worse, say I cut into it so prematurely that I know I have to flip it again. Right. So what do I do? I dump it out, and I get then I get the forest fire and right. I eat it again because right. it's dripping. Right. So we really want to not do that. No. So I think it's it's important to uh, to make sure that it's even when you're cooking it, uh, and then and then just cooking it at a temperature. Once you make your grill marks, putting it in a, in a, an area on the grill that's not continually firing at it, that that's controlled a little bit better. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah. I hope I'm answering those questions. I, I, I keep going back to that area, that kind of direct, indirect heat, because I think it makes a big difference in, in your grilling. And it makes, if you can think that way, you can control what you're cooking a lot easier. Because what you're doing, I'm sorry if I go off yeah. a little bit, is you're kind of doing that thing when you're putting a piece of fish in foil, right? Is yes, it's grilling, but you're controlling the heat. You're You're encasing it. You're putting moisture inside of it. And then you're allowing all those things to kind of steam your fish where you're not really overcooking it. It's not a direct heat. It's kind of an all around heat. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Again, getting into the vegetable side for those vegetarians that might be listening. Also, plus I just, I love grilled veggies. Uh, I love something that has a, I wouldn't call it burnt, but a good char on it. Right. Like Brussels sprouts that have a good char. Yeah, there's a lot of sugar in vegetables. Once you, once you caramelize those sugars- all the flavor is there. Amazing. So when it comes to vegetables on the grill, again, what I've just, having not YouTubed a thing or, or looked anything up, I just take tin foil and I'll, I'll even throw like broccolini in with uh, green beans and Brussels all in the same foil. Right. And I'll throw it on the searing of the, um, the, the infrared side. Right. right. And just... Annihilate them, yeah. and then I take my tongs and I kind of move the uh, tin foil sort of around. And I'll even sometimes I'll open up the tin foil and I'll I'll literally kind of pull the ones from the bottom and kind of rotate them right. through in the tin foil. Right. Um, and I'll just put like a little bit of olive oil in there and like some sea salt. Right. Is that decent method? Is that terrible? No, for like, sure. I mean, it's whatever you like. It seems to work. You know the the beauty of summer. I, I can't help but talk about this. We. Uh, we have a, a two-acre farm at the ranch uh, that that we have in Orange Park Acres. Our owner owns a a beautiful two-acre farm. We grow a lot of our own vegetables in the summertime. We have 900 heirloom tomato plants. We have uh, eggplant, zucchini, and corn, and chili peppers, beets, turnips, kale, uh, Swiss chard. Uh, the, the list goes on, right? And uh, it's that summertime grill where uh, it's whatever you like. You know what I mean? Like like you said, if you're going to grill something, these right. these are a couple of the, the, the photos that I took this morning as I was oh leaving God. the restaurant. If you Shh. scroll across. So Chef uh, Rossi has uh, handed me his phone. He's showing me. Um, those, are, those are Fresno chili peppers. Dude, they look uh, amazing. Eggplant, some beautiful eggplant. Wow. Um, Maybe I can post a couple of these pictures. Yeah, so people they're can see they're, they're literally that's that's just an iPhone photo. That's not photoshopped. 
I mean, Dude. just making you hungry, right? It is. Uh, and those are the types of things when I go into the grocery store, wow. uh, I'm inspired Dude. by by fresh produce. When you go to the farmer's market in the summertime, I was just up in Hollywood at the farmer's market uh, uh, last Sunday, and you you see what these farmers are bringing, and it's it's inspiring because you want to eat healthy, but you want to eat you want to eat an eggplant or a zucchini or an heirloom tomato or sweet summer corn at the height of its growing season, right? So the, the all, like I said before, it's all those natural sugars that you don't even need to add that much. Right. Yeah. Some sea salt, a little bit of olive oil, some cracked black pepper on top of it and just, just let it do its thing. Do you have any quick um, veggie good go-to food preps that are easy. So for someone that might be listening, that's like, okay, uh, whether he's, you know, he or she's full vegetarian or not is, is sort of beside the point, but as a, as a supplemental dish or a complementary dish to a protein that you'd say, oh yeah, yeah. Just if you're doing a filet or a piece of fish, you could just, you know, throw this, this, and this in, and here's how I do it. Or is it just, again, like you're saying, it's, you just want to pick the vegetables that are high to season. Yeah. And then and, what I do is I impart uh, flavors into that. So say you're going to make uh, zucchini and eggplant. Say you want to make a caponata, traditional sweet and sour Italian dish that has, uh, we, we add golden raisins and pine nuts and capers to it, fresh herbs like basil. You know, we, we have something on the menu right now that, that we took uh, the same things, eggplant and zucchini. And then we made like a, a purple basil vinaigrette with it and put feta cheese on top of it. There's a lot of things that you can do that if you're going to do green beans, you can add um, orange and slivered almonds on top of it. And then th- like in your foil and then- Yeah, no, I would, what I would post? do is I would uh, post, right? Yeah, so okay. what you're doing is you can grill the veggies. Yeah. Uh, you can marinate them, whatever, whatever you like, whatever herbs you want to put on them, whatever kind of citrus zest or essence you want to put on them. And any kind of chili powders or uh, curries or whatever you want to put on your vegetables to flavor them. Obviously, putting salt and pepper on them, that's the most important. And then afterwards, giving other flavors onto it, like a vinaigrette or a dressing of some sort or, or just nuts or cheese or, or anything else that's going to give you texture and flavor. What about fruit, like um, grilling a peach? Peaches are awesome. It's awesome, right? Yeah. How do you do that? I feel like if I did, well, it would just slip right through the grill. No. Like, I have no idea how to well, do it. Well, there, there's... There's a lot of things out there now. Now they have like these, I mean, you've probably seen them on the infomercial or you've seen them somewhere, these grill mats that you put on your grill and it's basically cooks right through the, the mat and it creates grill marks and all that. That, See, that That's the safe, it the safe way, right? completely toxic to me, but right, okay. But yeah, but I, it's technology, okay. right? <laughs> um, but, but depending on your grill and your grill, your grates of your grill on how wide they are apart, it's not going to fall through. Okay. I mean, if you're going to cut a peach in half, it's like the size of a baseball. Right. You know what I mean? So if you cut it in half, it's not going to fall you through your grill grates. Um, and then what I do normally is I you you marinate them. You can put a little olive oil on it so it doesn't stick and it gives you the kind of a well-rounded, but you put, can put honey on it. You can put lime zest or, or orange zest on it. And then what you do is you grill it. You, you want a, not a super overly ripe peach. If we're going to talk about peaches, you want something that's a little bit more firm because then you can break down the structure of the peach. Okay, this is good. In the so, grill. So, yeah, if it's too soft, right. not it's not worth It's just going to be mush on, on the grill. Okay. What you want to do is you want to create that mush, for better words, or at least softer texture after you grill it. Uh, so we we do a lot of things in the restaurant that like grilled peaches would like, can make like a lemon verbena honey. So we infuse lemon verbena into honey. And then we we serve it with burrata. Oh my god! Um, Are you kidding? Prosciutto. Me? <laughs> I mean, it's the summertime is one of my favorite times of the whole year. You know, we're gonna do a, what we call a crudo in the restaurant uh, that we change all the time. So we're gonna do raw scallops that we're gonna lightly grill, just grilled rare, and then we're gonna grill some stone fruit with it. So some peaches, uh, some pluots, or kind of like a, a plum. And then we're going to make like a little, almost like a gazpacho with, with peaches. Oh man. And it's going to be really fun, really flavorful, real bright, real fun. But, but grilling, you can grill anything. Well, let's- It imparts so flavor, right? Let's, let's move on to pizza. Right. We're going to just, I'm throwing everything at oh, you. Oh, I love pizza. You know it. So um, obviously it's, I feel like it's a total trend item now. You've seen a lot of guys 
doing the the traditional. Yeah. They're buying the pizza ovens no, to, com- yeah, to complement sure. their their man cave, right. you know, barbecue setup. Um, if you don't have the means or the barbecue, you know, set up for pizza, how could a guy like me who's never done that be successful at making pizza on a grill? Oh, super fun, super easy, a perfect party, right? You know, you have your friends over, your family, your kids, get them out there next to the grill, make your dough, form your dough, allow it to rise, form them, get all that set. You can do that day of, day before, whenever it is. I'm going to draw a picture, and I hate to be a broken record when it comes to this, but I think this is the, the perfect example of what indirect and direct heat kind of is. Say you have a, your round grill, right? Say you're, you, have, you have a charcoal grill, but you can do it on any grill. But say you have your round grill, and you divide it like a pizza. You divide it straight in half of that round half moon, whatever it is, right? And you put the coals on one side and... No coals on the other side. Got me? Yep. Right, follow me? Yep. So you make your dough. And grilled pizza is cool because you don't have to make that perfect circle. It could be, you know, oblong and it could be whatever you want yeah. it to be. It could yeah. be, it be stretchy, rectangle. rectangle yeah. Really, really cool. Sure. What I would do is I would take my dough. I would stretch it. I would let it rest so it's going to keep that form. And then I would just take a like a brush, with, with like a paintbrush. Or now that you can buy these silicone brushes at the at the chef store or any kind of Sir Latab or William Sonoma or something like that. And then you take a little bit of olive oil and you just brush the outside of it. Not a lot. You don't want it those flare-ups, but you want to brush it enough so where it's going to grill and it's going to have that nice olive oily, you know, when you get your yeah. piece of dough, it's got the little olive yeah. oil kind of brush around it. Oh, it's yeah. like really, really good. So you brush it lightly and then you throw it onto the coal side, the half of the circle that, that has the coals on it, the hot side. Yep right? Then uh, you want it to cook enough so you're sealing all of the, the stru- cell structure on the outside of the pizza dough. Okay. Does that make sense so yeah. far? Then you want to flip it over and you don't want to make a cracker. So you're not trying to cook it all the way. You're just trying to set that outside again. It could almost be like just so you're setting the dough. Okay. And you can do this if you're not cooking it too much. If you're making a cracker, it's going to dry out. You could put it on the counter and three hours later, it's still going to be that cracker. Yeah. But if you say you're going to do it ahead of time, you can do them ahead of time. Say you're going to have a dinner party at your house or you're going to have your family that you want to just get a prep. You want to prep ahead. You can make those doughs ahead of time, put them in your refrigerator. Right. Right. Okay. So then you can just pull them out, put your toppings on them, whether it be your sauce or your cheese or any of the kind of toppings you want on it. And then you want to keep that, that heat source hot on one side and then you want to keep the other side not heat source and then you want to put the pizza that's already been cooked with the toppings on it on the side that doesn't have the heat source but okay. there's still heat source inside yeah because you're going to use your lid okay for example we're going to we're going to paint the picture of you have a lid and you're going to put it on top of it and then what you're going to do is you're going to open up the vents and create oxygen that's going to be able to circulate the air inside of it so there's going to be a heat source that's a little bit more rounded, and then it's going to cook your pizza toppings without recooking your dough. I got it. Okay. That makes sense? Yeah. And and so on a grill, I suppose it's the same thing. You'd put the part that's been sort of seared, for right. lack of a better word, right, right. on the indirect side with your toppings on right, it. Right, right. Uh, so you're cooking the ingredients and you're not annihilating the Yeah. You know, I mean, part. in a perfect world, you know, for us in the restaurant, at the ranch- you know, we, uh, we've done grilled pizza a lot. And what we do is we grill the dough and then we finish the toppings in the oven. So you can do that easily too. You know what I mean? If you have your, okay. I mean, if not, if you're grilling at home and you're not, you're not camping, there's lots of things that you could do to still grill, but finish in another heat source. It's cool to think you could literally do pizza while camping. Oh, it's awesome. It sounds like a fun thing to do yeah, with totally. kids too, right? They love totally. it. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. I like that. So if we could just spend a minute going through, we've talked a lot about the different types of things we can grill. What about the pairings of the wines and such? Yeah, that's, that's the fun part. It certainly is. So is there, is there some go-tos, just some standards? I mean, look, again, this is one of those topics. It's everyone has their own opinion. And, right. Well, it's and, what you like. Yeah. First off, you're going to drink what you like, but there are nuances in wine that I think- uh, food is great. 
or craft beer too. Let's, let's, let's put yeah. that in the equation too. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I just had a really awesome jam session. If I can go off subject a little bit, uh, my buddy, Victor Novak is the brewmaster for golden road. Okay. And he's been my buddy for like a really close friend of mine for, for over 20 years. And this dude is like, I don't even know how you explain like the most geeked out about something you love. Like we all are. <laughs> Right. When you get us in, in the subject that we like to talk about, sure. it's like, we're just like, blah, right. It just keeps coming out and we get all excited. We were talking about food and beer pairings. And I said, man, we got to have a, a beer dinner. Cause I just, when you're talking about beer and your nuances of flavors within your beer, whether it be the mango cart that he's really famous for, they won the gold medal at the international beer awards or some of these flavors that he's imparting fresh fruit and, yeah. and, and, and different herbs and different things in beer. There's so many brewmasters out there doing such awesome stuff, especially, you know, Anaheim, yeah. the, 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 the brew master, I mean, the brew capital of the world. Yeah. What is it? What is it? The craft brew capital of the world, right? Yeah. Well, I got, you know, my boys at town park. Yeah. Doing yeah. Their thing too. Killing it's, it. it's unbelievable. Killing it. And, it. and it's such, it's such an awesome jam session to get with a brewmaster. It's like, it's like a, like a beer chef, right? You start right. talking That's this. Exactly you, is, yeah. you start talking these things, and all they're trying to—they're taking water and flavors and yeast and and hops and all these things—and they're imparting flavors in it that aren't just cool. Like, yeah, you're going to tell somebody, "Oh, yeah, I put these flavors in my beer, and I'm cool." But you're going to give it to somebody, and they're going to go, "Yeah, I totally get it." Like <laughs> right. that's really, really awesome. Yeah. Wine and food is is my passion. I, I really love it. I mean, I first off, I like to drink wine. You gotta you gotta have that part. And I like to eat, but I like to eat and taste flavors of wine that marry. Does that make sense? Sure. Uh, if you're gonna have a, a grilled meat, you know it's typically red wine, right? You can you can drink whatever you want, but it's usually big red wines like Cabernets or Zinfandels, uh, Malbecs. You know, uh, these, these, these great varietals in, in, in different parts of the world, like Argentina, that have different terroir, meaning there's different soil compositions that give the grapes different flavors. Does that make sense? Yeah. So different tannin levels. So the way that I like these old world wines, that's what, what I'm talking about, terroir, is California wines were really super fruit forward. But when you drink an old world wine, like some from Spain or from Italy or France, or even even though it's it's on this side of the world, Argentina, you get these grassy notes. You get these soil compositions that are not fruit; they're different. And I think that grilled meat by itself is awesome, but it's what you put with it—a sauce or a marinade or a spice—that's going to change what you drink with it. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I was I was uh, talking to one of my my good friends yesterday, and we were talking about smoked chicken versus grilled chicken. And uh, it, you know, there there's so many flavors. If if grilled chicken or barbecue chicken, you might drink like white wines, like a dried riesling, off dry riesling, or uh, a gewurztraminer or Sauvignon Blanc, something that's going to be along the same as your white meat, right? That's going to in part flavor, it's going to give you those fruit flavors. But then when you do smoke meat, you could do like a Grenache, like these smoky strawberry kind of flavors in the grape that are different. California, like uh, Grenache or um, or something like that. Uh, pork, it just depends on what you like. And pork what, goes either way. Yeah, you feel pork like? can be white or red. Pinot, something Pinot, in the Merlot. <laughs> Merlot, okay. You know what I mean? Um, port, port wine. You know, it's just kind of whatever you're, you're okay. eating is, is a good balance. And fish, uh, salmon, always, people always say, oh, Pinot Noir. It's like a steak. You know what I mean? But if, but it, Pinot Noir is like if you put mushrooms with it or you put something with it, it's going to kind of lend more to the red um, wine. Yeah, okay. The umami or kind of flavors. Yeah. Um, but if you're going to have a piece of grilled swordfish or you're going to have a piece of mahi-mahi, uh, you're going to drink... Um, high acidity wines or more buttery wines. So if it's Sauvignon Blanc or Chardonnay, you know what I mean? I think it's yeah. just kind of a little bit of everything. Okay. I do champagne with everything. Do you? Yes. <laughs> you know <laughs> Not what I mean? with the burger. <laughs> well, it could be the right <laughs> burger. You know what I mean? <laughs> Foie gras and some short rib. You, I'm drinking so champagne, right? <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. 
Um, and so let's just do, let's run down the beers quickly too. Yeah. Do you, if you're going to pair, um, you know, speaking of that, I, I did a, a tasting a couple of weeks back with town park and they're coming out with some amazing stuff too. They, they got, they did a low quad saison that is just right. phenomenal. They did a haze. I know that's kind of yeah, popular and everybody's loving it. it yeah. Killer. Yeah. I, 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 there's a lot of dudes out there and, and gals, I, I should say that once it's popular, it's not cool. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, my yeah. brother's that way. As soon yeah. as a band gets oh, popular, over oh yeah, dude, yeah. They're, they're not cool. Yeah, three years ago. Yeah, yeah. He's too, too cutting edge on music. But the the thing is, man, is it's what you like. And I think the hazy beers are cool. Yeah. They, they have a Do you great- say hazy or haze? I'm, I'm, how- Hazy is I don't know they they is that they're, the characteristic they're un, almost of? like almost like an unfiltered beer. But is it am I saying it right? Is it yeah. haze? Uh, and then there is haze. I know it's hazy is like the characteristic of the beer. I think I it's know. haze. I, I think it's all what you call it. Okay, everybody's well, got a name for something, fine. right? Uh, you got to be in the know. I, well, I'm not clearly. <laughs> right, me either. I mean, I dude, it took me a long time before even the whole IPA thing. I really didn't get. Admittedly, it just was like, oh, why would I? Well, why would I even it, have one of those? And now, like, to go back to. Like a Coors Light is yeah. Well, it's boring, dude. It, it's boring. I mean, I like, I'm a, I like all beer, and I love a really great IPA. I love, it's like, I don't. Sometimes I guess maybe it's summertime. I like these fruity beers, and okay. I don't mean like I want every fruity beer. You know what I mean? But I like flavors that you could taste the beer, and then some fruit. I'm like, I'm not a strawberry guy. I'm not gonna have yeah. strawberry in my beer. No. But sometimes citrus not. notes are kind of cool. Right? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I we've covered a lot of ground. So I my um I have the questions from my kids segment. Um, Josie wants to know if you've ever undercooked a steak and served it. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <That's brutal. laughs> Absolutely. I mean, the thing is, professional or not professional, you 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 don't have X-ray vision, right? So you yeah. can't see through it. You yeah. can only use the 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 tips that I told you, like the finger, the you know the the index finger on thumb trick or a thermometer or or something. I mean, you can use a lot of kind of old school tricks or 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 very spot on things like a like a thermometer. But yeah, the good thing is you can always throw it back on the grill. <laughs> yeah, Jack wants to know since you're a chef um, and that's what you do for a living. Like when you get home. How much are you cooking for yourself and your family? Do you enjoy that or do you just tend to eat out? Uh, I am real simple. You know, my boys, uh, I got an eight and nine-year-old boy and uh, they're pretty simple dudes. You know what I mean? So it's it's usually a grilled chicken breast or a grilled steak. I, I, I'm a slow and low guy. So I, I like the instant pot or, or okay. uh, you know, the... The, the thing, the sous vide method. Some things are a lot easier to, but to be spot on. And if and I'm if I'm reading easy. between the lines, it sounds like when you get home, you're over it. Like you're the passion. I'm not over it. <laughs> like there's there's a difference, and I, and and you'll probably understand this part. I, I have two kids. You know what I mean? I, I got two rambunctious hockey playing kids that want daddy to. I can't, once I walk in the door, it's, yeah, they don't want you to get in the no, kitchen. I, no, they want I mean, to go yeah, party. Right? Yeah. Um, my brother, on the other hand, professional chef, pastry chef, the guy's cooking a gourmet meal every night, man. It's oh, like that's he, how he, he rolls, goes, huh? He's got everything in his refrigerator, and he's like got five kinds of cheese in his, <laughs> his you know, lunchbox or whatever you want to call it in his refrigerator. Yeah. You know, he's like doing these things, and I'm thinking, I just don't have the time. No. He doesn't have kids. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And, and, and there's, yes, I love it, and I want to do it, and there are those, those Sundays that, you know what, that's Sunday, that's cooking day, that's family time. You know what I mean? Or, or having friends over and, you know, everything, and especially in today's architecture, for a better word, it's the heart of the home, the kitchen. You know what I mean? Everybody wants to be in the kitchen. So it's nice to have friends over or family over and kind of start there and like open up the refrigerator and have the grill on in the back and just kind of graze throughout the day. You know what I mean? Where you can throw on some shrimp and it's an appetizer. It's not like the main meal. Let's let's right. grill some shrimp and right. toss it in whatever seasoning you want and put it out there, you know, as an appetizer or, or make some tacos or right. do whatever. You know. Well, no, I think and that's exactly right. You're hitting on why I do this this podcast. To, you know, I, I I do it because you know it's a selfish interest thing, and I like to learn about topics from you know guys and gals that are experts in their field. And I think you know barbecuing is one of those areas that, that as I grow a little bit older and I start to enjoy you know, the surroundings, the whole aesthetic, the, the smells 
and the sounds of the kids playing and the smells of the grill and the music that's playing. It, it totally. just, it sets the whole thing in motion for me. You know, yeah. and I think that the most important part in that, if you can, if you can pull away is planning. Barbecue is planning just like any cooking. And I think that sometimes, you know, anybody can put something on a grill. If it's going to taste good, that's another story. Or it's going to be cooked right is another story. Yeah. But I think if you plan right, and if you do the steps like keeping managing your your grill and your barbecue and keeping it clean, keeping the 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 tray underneath clean, making sure that you clean, you know, like you said, you know, you you have that awesome, like I'm going to cook the best ribs in the world and I'm not going to care because I'm going to be so content enjoying my ribs at the end that you forgot about your barbecue. But the next time you use it, you're like, oh man, if I spent the extra ten minutes to clean my grill, it would be so much easier this time. Uh, setting up your mise en place. You know what I mean? Everything's in place. You have things that you can plan ahead. And, and, and when you go out to the grill, that's the, the area where you're going to make the magic happen, but you're going to cook it the right way. You're going to take your time, but you're going to hurry up, right? And then just cooking things to the doneness that you like it. But I think the most important thing in grilling is seasoning. Mm, okay. You know, you got to do what you want as far as flavor. But if you yeah. go back to to those seasonings, if you can kind of get your sugars right, if you're going to add it, and if you're grilling or or smoking or whatever, that's when your sugar comes in. But if it's just salt and pepper and your aromatics that you put on it, that's what's going to make it taste right at the end of the day. Dude, this has been awesome. Um, I learned a ton. I'm also completely hungry now. Um, <laughs> I, I make myself hungry sometimes. <laughs> So thank you for joining us today. It's a pleasure, man. It's awesome to be here. Uh, It's so good, man. Um, Come down to the ranch. I know it's been a while. Yeah. uh, We got to get you in there because that summer produce uh, is is crazy. And and we got a a steak for whatever you're in the mood for. You guys, and for those listening that you're sort of in the greater Orange County, LA area, um, what Chef Rossi's doing at his place at the ranch is, it's, I mean, okay, yeah, he's my friend, whatever. He's, you know, we're local. We've known each other. What he doesn't matter. It, it is it is unparalleled what's happening there. And he mentioned his brother. We didn't really talk about desserts. His brother's a many time winning pastry chef who makes the craziest desserts to complement what what right. Chef Rossi is is cooking up on a regular basis. And not only that, they've got a beautiful uh, facility next door that's like you can go. It it looks like kind of a Vegas dropped a baby in the middle of Anaheim, like in terms of the expense right? and, and the, and the decadence of the place. Well, Andrew, uh, Andrew Edwards, our owner is, is, uh, is a, is a cowboy at heart. And, yeah. uh, he built this place where he could two-step with his wife and his daughter and, and all the other magic just happened apart from that. Yeah, it, it is. It's the whole thing's a really special you know, place. We have the restaurant, uh, the ranch restaurant, the ranch saloon. And then on our, our sixth floor of our building, we have, uh, a private event space with five private dining rooms, two kitchens. It's spectacular. So whatever you're in the mood for, we have the space for you. Yeah. Yeah, guys, go check it out. And uh, we want to we wanna thank you for listening today to another episode of The Brevity Code. Check us out at Brevity Code Show on Instagram. And uh, find us on iTunes or the website, brevitycode.com. And uh, we look forward to feedback and comments and hope you enjoyed the show. Yeah, super, super excited. Thanks, Ryan, for having me. Thanks, man.